Hello, I'm co-host Brooklyn Arroyo, and this is 100 Alumni Voices podcast, Stories That Inspire, where we explore the personal and professional journeys of a diverse group of 100 doctoral alumni from Johns Hopkins University. Today, we're joined by Anna Kobachik, DRPH in Implementational Science. How are you, Anna? I'm doing well. How are you, Brooklyn? I am also doing well. I'm really excited to be able to work with you today. So please, let's just jump right into it and tell us a little bit about your graduate experience within implementation science. Sure, happy to. Um, I had a really great experience. So my program was uh, part-time online. Um, and I was one of the first cohorts to join when the program turned into, into that mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I was really looking for was a cohort experience, right? Getting to meet people from all over the world who were, um, you know, at different stages in their lives interested in pursuing doctoral degrees. And that's why this program really spoke to me. Um, so it was a wonderful opportunity to um, make friends, make connections, to network, um, dive into classes. I also did a bit of a whirlwind approach. So even though it was part-time, I graduated in three years. Um, so also allowed me the space to really focus. Mm-hmm, definitely. So you mentioned going into this experience and having that virtual aspect of things. What was your first thoughts? Was it always a positive thing or were you Uh, nervous to go into it with that virtual aspect? Um, Actually, no. So I have a a learning disability that um, where I have an overattention disorder that makes it quite difficult to be in classroom settings. Mm -hmm. And so um, for the first time, really, this was my experience getting to do virtual learning. I do a lot of virtual teaching, but to be on the other side of it and to do virtual learning. So I was actually really excited for like what I could accomplish and how I could show up in that space and not really have um, that disability affect me in the way that it really had for most of my uh, for most of my education. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I think that's an interesting point to shed light on because I think a lot of people have voiced such negative thoughts on on virtual education and virtual learning, and I think that being able to see the differences and different learning environments that could you know, benefits students in that space. I think that's really a powerful thing to to shed light on. So well, maybe I could just add Brooklyn, you know, not all faculty are well equipped to do to do virtual teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found was that it was really about the way the cohort decided to approach that experience. So whether the instructor was really well equipped or doing the best job, I found the energy on online learning was around the cohort coming together, you know, making decisions together, how they were going to work, how they were going to interact. And so that was also really powerful for me was like using the cohort as a tool for making virtual learning successful. Right. Definitely. So I I would like to pry more on your, you briefly mentioned how you were excited to have that experience meeting different people. And now you've talked more on the cohort being positively affecting the environment of your learning. So what were some of those positive experiences that you'd like to to speak on and and that environment of having that cohort and group mentality? 
Yeah, so I, I often reflect on degree programs as like um, uh, friend groups that are gifted to you. You know, as we become adults, it becomes harder and harder to make friends. And so it's just kind of like, hey, here's a platter of people who are, you know, possibly like minded or of similar interest. And so I was like, all right, this is probably my mm -hmm. last, you know, gifted group of friends. Um, and so I, I took that really seriously, but I think also because so many of us were further in our career, right? We weren't just coming out of a master's program. Many of us had a lot of working experience that we were able to really, you know, talk to each other, not just about what was going on in class, but also what was going on in work and, and compare contrast experiences. And then I think the other component about sort of being more um, mature adult learners was that we all had our boundaries. You know, we all knew here's are the ways that we can show up in our courses. Here are the ways we can't. And I just found that like as a cohort, we were able to be honest to say, hey, in this short term, I can I can really show up now, but I'm going on vacation at the end of this month and I'm not really going to be around. Right. And it was always this really friendly negotiation about um, how we were going to work together. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I I asked, do you think that 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 level of learning how to communicate and work amongst those people even more within your graduate experience to help you within the science aspect of it all, the implementation science and, and the career that you then went down? Sure. I think um, my first reaction is, I'm not sure, but I mean, immediately as I think about implementation science, one of the core sort of fundamental um, drivers is around stakeholder engagement, being able to identify and collaborate with really diverse groups of stakeholders to engage in the science, right? To determine the research question or the approaches. And mm -hmm. so I, I do think there was a real value add to, you know, again, being infused with working with so many different people, different working styles, different backgrounds. Um, and so even though it was within this tight community, sure, I can definitely see how that applies. Great question. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Great answer. <laughs> so, Within the subject of implementation science, uh, um, I wonder, did you always know that this was the path you wanted to take? Was it a snowball no. thing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. I mean, first of all, implementation science is a newer field, so mm -hmm. I couldn't have known even if I'd wanted to. I think I also, um, I needed a break after my master's program. So my master's program, which I didn't complete at Hopkins, was not a great fit for me. And I was one of those students who had rolled right out of undergraduate into graduate. You know, it was, it was really, you know, what you're supposed to do and it just didn't work for me. So I needed a break, which was about a eight year break. Um, and I never really thought I wanted to do a doctoral program largely because I had a job and an income. I worked with PhD students around the school. You know, I knew, like, I knew what that life was like. I knew it was hard. I also knew it wasn't for me. I was enjoying drawing a salary and getting professional experience. And so it wasn't really until the program transformed into part-time and online where I said, oh, this is a really great match for me. And now let's see how I can fit this into my work. Mm -hmm. um, and then implementation science just happened to be the best fit and I could really see how I wanted to to pursue that so it was totally like life course you know drawing me along into this path and me just saying yes when the opportunity uh, showed up and when it was right for me definitely so eight years that <laughs> of work experience before then jumping back into this this graduate work do you feel that there was a significant transition period or with the virtual aspect of things it was easy to kind of just roll with it and add it onto your daily life 
I think because most of that working experience was at Hopkins with the Center for Global Health, mm-hmm. it wasn't too much of a shock for me. Um, at that point, I was already teaching quite a bit, you know, engaging in research. And so all of the different things that were coming up, right, needing to write papers, needing to do group work, um, needing to watch lectures, it all felt very familiar to me. Uh, but I certainly know some of my colleagues had a, a steep learning curve for sure. So what, how do you go about approaching making decisions about your career now? And, and sort of what is the work that you're doing currently? I approach decisions about my career with a lot of self-reflection. So mm-hmm. I feel like very early on in our career, we're told, you know, say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Right? You want to grab opportunities as much as you can. And I think now I'm in a place where I've better established myself, my areas of expertise, where I have to really thoughtfully say yes. Um, and I find a lot of power in being able to say no to things that don't serve me, mm-hmm. right? Really being able to assess and say, that's not an opportunity for me. That's an opportunity for someone else. Um, so I think it's really about that balance between being excited about something versus really being able to take it on or also really making sure that it serves you and your objectives, right? So a lot of self-reflection and a lot of being clear about what you want, um, but also knowing that things can really come up at any time. I was particularly fortunate, it might not sound like this, but I was fortunate that my first job experience out of graduate school was um, absolutely terrible. Hmm. And, And because of that, I learned so much about what I didn't want. Mm -hmm. And I feel that when I stumble upon excellent environments, you know, really supportive groups of people, um, projects that excite me, then I realize the value in that because I've also seen what happens on the other side, right? When environments aren't supportive, when you're in a bad situation or your working relationships aren't great. So also really learning from that early on and then just never forgetting those lessons. Definitely. And I do want to ask more about that, but I would love to hear um, some of your lessons that you would like to share about how to foster a relationship with yourself and with your work that you can say no. I think that oftentimes we feel that we, you know, are getting in this routine of saying yes, and we can't really get out of it. So what advice do you have for that? So one of the best pieces of advice that my one of my mentors ever gave me was under promise and over deliver. Mm -hmm. Because no one will ever be mad if you do that, right? Then you basically said, I'm going to do this much. And then you do a whole bunch more. And then everyone is really happy. And so I would just say, you know, and I see students particularly get really like you want to take advantage of every opportunity. Mm -hmm. But in the process of doing that, you are over promising and under delivering everywhere. And you're ultimately losing opportunities down the line. Right. If you if you are spread too thin and you can't complete tasks and you don't really engage, then people don't want to work with you again. So so one, I would say then it's about um, under promise over deliver. And then two, it's about really thinking, what does that mean? Like uh, understanding down the line, that's about creating relationships with people. That's about really being able to show up for something um, and assessing what you want to spend your time on. Definitely. That that was oh. great advice. Thank you. And maybe I would just add on to that, that like who you work with is way more important than what you do. Mm -hmm. Because like who you work with is the bulk of, you know, you're going to be in meetings and emailing people and all of that. And like cool tasks will come later, but who you work with is way more important. Mm -hmm. Definitely that this is 
sort of become a repeated subject that is brought up within all of the podcasts. I think it's become more widespread known within careers within the past couple of years, but environments of a workplace can be extremely influential to the work that you do. And that's not just you show up, you do your job and that's it. Living and existing within that work environment is also extremely important. Absolutely. I think that th- this would be a good subject to segue into what you were talking about before with your not so great first job experience. And I would just ask, so what were some of the specific battle or battles, but, you know, bumps in the road that you faced and how did you go about learning from them? Because sometimes those can be extremely discouraging and, and we find ourselves not being motivated by those things. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was I was sort of forced to be motivated by them um, because ultimately that organization fired me when they found out that I was interviewing at other places. Mm. Um, so I ha- I kind of had no choice but to immediately take that lesson and and figure something out around it. And I of course the immediate feeling was I have failed. You know, this is my first job out of graduate school. What's like who will ever hire me again? clearly I'm fine. You know, like I've landed, I've, 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 that is barely a a blip on their radar. Um, But of course you, you feel that way. I think I was just really forced into feeling motivated by it instead. And I think honestly, the challenges all came down to the interpersonal relationships that I had and that I observed, right? Really sort of feeling this sense that um, leadership was there for themselves. They weren't there for other people. There wasn't a clear scope or objective of work for me to do. And people complained about everything. Like if we were in the lunchroom and we were even talking about personal things, it was just complaining. And I was just like, man, this is boring. You know, it's like, who wants to just complain all the time? So I just, I even felt that like, not even just related to work, but personally, it just wasn't the group for me. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I think that, and you, you spoke on how you were then let go after finding <laughs> out that you were seeking work elsewhere. And I think that that's partially why a lot of people end up feeling stuck in these sort of environments that just do not work with their their own goals and their own attitudes. So what advice do you have on whether it's a strategy about leaving that or whether it's just about ripping the Band-Aid off? Well, I think, um, you know, I come from a place of privilege where I was able to be let go, as you said, mm-hmm. um, and not be fearful for like meeting the rent, you know, or feeding myself. So I first want to take a moment to recognize that not everyone has a swath of options when it comes mm-hmm. to this. But the second thing I would say is, you know, network and apply apply for things. And I think in global health, which is my field, um, people often talk about mentorship. And I even, you know, I even alluded to having a mentor, but I think now the most powerful thing you can do is have a network mm-hmm. to not rely on one person to do all, to meet all of these criteria for you, but to really establish a network. And I remember one of the first things I did after getting fired was I like looked up um, opportunities near me for continuing education or for networking. Um, and now it's so much easier too. You can, I say that like I'm a million years old, but like now you can hop online, you can meet people on LinkedIn, there are online networking events. And networking is like dating, you know, not not every member of your network is going to be the most fabulous person, but you can find unexpected wins 
everywhere and leverage them. Um, and, and I think that is what's critical is know and grow your network and just leverage that for different opportunities to see what's out there. And I think really remember, I think so many people are afraid to leave because they don't know what's worse, like what they have or what's out there. And then I would just say, if you make a change, you can make a change again, you know? And so some of it's also about overcoming fear of being able to make those different changes. Definitely. Change is, I think, almost a universal fear for many people, especially <laughs> career-wise. That's big stuff right there. So um, stepping back into the topic of careers, I'd love to know, and I think that the audience would too, just what does your day-to-day look like now within settling into your career? Um, it never looks the same. <laughs> so one of, one of the things I really love about being on faculty is the flexibility that my days can look wildly different and also that I can engage in lots of different projects. Mm -hmm. Um, Some days I have lots of meetings, some days I have no meetings. Um, Some days I create like really beautiful creative space for myself to write or create proposals or, you know, do different things. Or sometimes I'm just really trying to collaborate with people um, or just read, right? Read up on the science and and feel like I'm part of, of that community. Uh, Some days I'm on a plane for 24 hours. So I think that's one of my favorite things is I don't know. What does it look like? It looks like however I want it to look. Mm -hmm. I I definitely relate to wanting to have a career that's like that. I know some people appreciate the routine of every day, but I definitely would appreciate a career where each day is a new day. So Exactly. Yes. So I think that you you briefly spoke on some of your favorite aspects of of your career now, but do you feel that postgraduate, you had your first job experience and now you're within your current job, there were any surprises that you faced that didn't really, your graduate experience didn't really prepare you for? Which one, my doctoral experience or or prior to that? Education in general. Any of it. Yes. It's hard to separate now because I have been working <laughs> and and during my master's program, I also worked quite a bit. I think what it doesn't, okay, because group projects are so feared and students tend to hate them, I feel like you that students don't get out of them what they should, which is the, is the deep understanding that you will be working in environments with people who think very differently from you, who take on different roles and that doesn't mean that they're less than. It mm-hmm. just means that they are different. And I think graduate school tries to do this. And I don't think that it's always successful. And mm-hmm. I think also faculty like run away from group projects because they've had so many bad experiences as well. Um, so maybe I would say that like, yeah, it's it's hard. And, and the other thing I think is that, um, especially if you're rolling right through school, you mm-hmm. are very used to having a very flexible schedule. And most careers are not like mine, right? Most places you you don't have all of that flexibility. And I remember that being really difficult. Mm-hmm. Definitely finding the switch between academia and certain career paths is, yeah. Is, yeah. So I think that um, I'm interested to know about sort of, I already asked what your day-to-day looks like, but if you have a next phase, what would the next phase of your career look like for you? Well, Um, I actually just got accepted to a a leadership and performance coaching program at Brown. Thank you. Um, I've been, I've been really exploring 
the role of coaching in leadership um, mm-hmm. and the role of coaching as a, an intervention in global health um, and also as part of as part of my teaching and pedagogical journey. And so my, you know, wh- where I see that going is being able to you know, take this, uh, this coaching journey, you know, understand more about it, understand how I can incorporate it into my work, but maybe also do coaching on the side, who's to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> life is, life is long. You can do lots of things. <laughs> lots of things. That's right. So um, congratulations again. That's amazing. You. you have just any piece that you would like to, to tell the audience of just advice that you would like to share from your, your leadership and coaching perspective? Um, I, you know, I, I think we all think about this differently depending on where we are in our careers. I would just really say, don't be afraid of networks um, and don't be afraid of doing things differently. You know, I think um, like leadership, teaching, mentorship, all of this, we are so often stuck in the way that we saw it done. Mm-hmm. And I think the truth is that all of it can be done really differently and really personally and probably more effectively by just leaning into who we are and recognizing um, the strengths that we bring, right? And taking strengths-based approaches rather than weakness-oriented approaches, right? Really trying to to push us forward in those things we're really strong at, as opposed to saying we have to fix every weakness we have. So, um, you know, I would just say for all of it, try to do it differently. And if something's not working for you, you don't have to repeat that model. Um, And the truth is too, that there is science about everything. So if you're trying to, coach or lead or teach, um, there is a world of academic research out there where you can learn from it. And um, and that's what we're here to do at public health, right? We're trying to do science-based approaches, evidence-based interventions, and that exists for so much. Definitely. That, that was an excellent, excellent response. I feel inspired. <laughs> um, okay. So Speaking of inspiration, our last question that we ask of all of our attendees on this podcast is, what inspires you right now? Ooh, Uh, I feel like all these other questions have been so easy in comparison. What inspires me? Change. Mm -hmm. I think the change so you, you said earlier, you think, um, you know, so many people are fearful of change. And I've reflected recently that I actually, um, I love conflict. I love change. I get really um, energized by it. And I think the change that we're seeing in global health towards increasing conversations around anti-colonialism and anti-oppression, I think the greater focus we're having in the world around equity Um, you know, focuses on gender, right? I think all of this change um, is something that's inspiring me and something I'm really hoping to to hold onto and propel forward. I don't think change has to be slow. I think it's been slow and I don't think it has to be. So I'm really inspired by change. Me too, me too. And I've found this conversation extremely inspiring and uh, I really appreciate you coming on to this podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Brooklyn. It's been great.